You ready, Rick? Hold on. Let me shake <laughs> it out. Let me shake it out. Mm, mm, there we go. I'm ready now. Hello and welcome, animation fans, to another iAnimate podcast. You're listening to episode 23. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and joining me once again is Slick Rick here. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Guys doing? hey. <laughs> good to hear good. from you, buddy. It's been a, been a couple podcasts without you, so it's nice to, to have you back. Yeah, been busy, been busy, but uh, I'm really happy to be back. Awesome, man. Well, our guest tonight is Simon Unger. He's a lead animator for forget how to pronounce the name and we're so we're going to ask him on the podcast and uh let's bring him on all right simon hey thank you very much for joining us tonight how you doing doing great how are you guys doing well doing very well first things first let's jump into uh your background how'd you get into animation where was your start man uh i originally i'm originally from vancouver canada um i uh went to vancouver film school in uh 99 no, sorry, 2000. <laughs> uh, been a professional animator for about 14 years now, uh, coming up on 14. I started in TV, working at a little place called Mainframe Entertainment, doing some kids' shows, Action Man and Heavy Gear and things like that, and uh, ended up getting an offer from Electronic Arts not too long after I started there and uh, moved there, did a lot of sports games, Moved into more of a cinematic role there. Ended up being a lead cinematic animator for a number of titles, number of years. Uh, after that, I uh, moved over to Square Enix, a place called IO Interactive in Copenhagen, Denmark. And I was the animation director on Hitman Absolution that came out uh, last year, around this time. And I'm now in Los Angeles. I'm the lead animator at Robotoki, uh, which is uh, an indie company. We're working on our first IP called Human Element. Now, can you tell us a little about that? What's what's that entail? Yeah, it's a uh, a first person survival game. Um, it's uh, it's very much in the um, what can I say? Um, it's, tell us, uh, tell us so, everything. Don't hold first, back. Don't hold back. Don't do that to the yeah. audience. You gotta, you gotta bring it. You know, this is animate podcast. We yeah, want, yeah. we want the best. So, what is it about? Don't, don't be holding back. You guys will get the scoop. Um, yeah, it's an open world first person survival game, and it's, uh, it's a massive uh, sandbox of a gameplay. It's meant to have a lot of story driven narrative. In the gameplay, not necessarily in the cinematics, but uh, a lot of characters, a lot of interesting emergent gameplay that we're designing around. Um, some, and it's an amazing team. We've got an incredible group of guys, uh, all super, super experienced. And um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool. It's gonna be really cool. Now, is this your first new IP that you've worked on? Because you mentioned you've worked on Hitman, which is kind of a franchise here. But is this your first IP that you've worked on? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, it is, actually. I hadn't even thought of it like that. This is the first time I have uh, I have had the chance to really shape an IP and be part of its conception. Yeah, I've, I've a good chunk of my career has been spent um, being put on teams halfway through that were struggling. Uh, and and helping them to ship, so this is it's a really nice opportunity to be part of 
the concept and defining characters and defining gameplay and uh, yeah, just having having a, having a voice in the in the creation of it. Yeah, yeah, because that was one of the things I was looking at here when it said new IP, and I'm just kind of thinking, what, what's some of the things you've been enjoying in this process with the uh, new IP? Oh, just uh, discussing the different character types, their their motivations, their 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 wants, their needs, how they move and interact with other other characters in the world, how they hold themselves, how they use weapons, how they even what their weapons look like and how they crafted them, that how they're sort of their environment and their circumstances define how they're how they dress, how they move, how they hold themselves, all those things. So just getting into the the nitty gritty of it's been it's been really freeing because being working on something like Hitman, you have um, so much history and so much so many assumptions over the character that it was it was a really challenging thing to stay on model, trying to give too much emotion or not enough emotion or, you know, certain characters just can't behave certain ways, but this is, it's a blank slate. It's really nice. Now on your bio, you mentioned that you're a lead animator there, right? Yes. So I got two questions here. The first question is what would a lead animator entail in your job duties? And then also how does that, as you mentioned, working on a new IP and you're helping shape this, how does that affect you as a lead animator? Well, it's, it's kind of a unique situation at Robotoki. We're um, we're a very flat structure, and while I have the title of lead animator, um, we're very much about everybody having a voice and a say. And everybody that we've hired essentially is is or could has been or could be a lead. It's a very very senior team, and it's meant to be. Um, we don't have a single producer or manager there, so we're all sort of responsible for ourselves and. And each other, and it's a it's a very different way of working. Um, but in the past, it would be sort of a double duty role, a lot of management, and a lot of um, producing alongside of animating, uh, which you rarely get to do as you become a lead animator these days. Uh, but on this project, I'm actually really excited that I've I've got a, an amazingly strong animation team with me that. Uh, we all bring something unique to the table and we all challenge each other in a really cool way. So uh, I'm excited to actually get my hands dirty this time. Now, how does, as an animator then, who's going to be actually working on it, how does getting to craft the characters, the knowing um, the background, so to speak, as you, as you mentioned, kind of starting a new IP, mm-hmm. how does that affect you as an animator versus maybe, say, when you said on Hitman, you're kind of jumping into it maybe midstream? Gosh, how do I answer that question? <laughs> um, what are some of the things you're thinking about maybe differently since you've kind of had an input on this? Yeah, well, we you try to think, you try to get your head inside the characters and their circumstances a little bit, and that helps drive, you know, you work through the decisions as if you were one of the characters and thinking about, you know, what they've been through. And, I mean, for Human Element, it's um, the setting is essentially... 35 years, 35, 40 years after some unnamed apocalypse happened and 95% of the human population doesn't exist. And so the people that do exist have spent much of their their existence just surviving and, and reconstructing society. And, and that's really what the game is about is that it's human element. It's the most dangerous things around are the other people in the game and mm-hmm. how they 
interact in the, the, the little ecosystems and the, the different roles that people play. You can be uh, more of a, a stealth or, or, a, or a hunter or a, or a merchant or uh, all sorts of things that you can become. So you're trying to get your heads into what, what their immediate priorities are, what their secondary priorities are, and, and usually that drives sort of all the sub layers of that like you know would they carry a large gun or would they carry a concealed gun knife or and then if they did that you know do they live in a windy part or a or a very rocky mountainous part and what do they need do they need to climb so that would dictate how their outfit works or if they live in a more wooded area or things like that so you get having that input up front kind of definitely helps propel you jumping into the animation there. Yeah. You know, having to guess yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're making style guides right now just defining, you know, what are their silhouettes? How do we, you know, what are their, what are their color palettes? What are their um, tendencies? How do they hold themselves when they walk, when they run, when they are trying to sneak? Now, you'll be teaching at our uh, motion capture workshops. How much of this game here is using motion capture? Uh, a large part of it. Um, a Probably half of our characters are bipeds. Uh, the other half are all wildlife, and those will be keyframed. I don't think we're going to be doing any uh, animal capture this go around. But um, yeah, a large part of it will start off its life as uh, motion capture. Okay. Now, in my notes here, my initial question is why motion capture? What is the initial or upfront benefit for a company to do motion capture before handing it off to an animator? Uh, really, motion capture. It's just a productivity tool. You, we have a lot of assets to get to in a very short amount of time, and we can, we can of course, keyframe everything if, if we had the time, but it's, uh, it's just a way for us to create a, a consistent baseline and, a, and to get to the finish line in a f much faster manner than keyframing it. It also allows us to prototype and iterate a lot faster than it would to block out and... Uh, do it all by hand. It really is a productivity thing, especially on a smaller team like us right now. Mm -hmm. okay. We have thousands of thousands of animations to get to and only a few animators. So, <laughs> so it allows you to kind of keep up with a larger company, for, for example. It does, but even somebody uh, like Ubisoft, I mean, they, they all start with motion capture as well. They just uh, working on such a larger scale. Uh, one thing I want to know is, do you also use it for creativity to kind of figure out characters, moments, events, uh, you know, previsioning like how the game could look or how like how situation might hit or, or a scripted event might work, or you use this really focusing on just trying to get the, the you know certain amount of animations out. Um, well, we use it for both. Really, it's uh, it's a great especially with, with software like Motion Builder and the Story Tool and things like that, it's, uh, it's great to sort of jigsaw together scraps and pieces of, of data and motion to assemble new moves and, and do that quickly. Plus, as, as much as we plan and as much as we try to prepare for a mocap shoot, when you uh, start working with actors and stunt choreographers and all those, there's sort of new things emerge all the time. So we definitely get uh, a lot of great ideas when we, once we get on the shoot floor as well. You try to limit massive changes, but uh, that kind of input's always super welcome. And I know a lot of the bigger games that uh, have the time and budget for it 
bring those guys on a lot earlier as part of the concept process. But a lot of indie companies usually don't have the luxury of that and try to figure it out on the fly a little bit. So what, what system or systems is this game going to be for? Um, currently it is, um, what can I say? Uh, (laughs) the, the full version of the game will be, uh, high end PC, Xbox, uh, one PlayStation four console PC release that all still hasn't been fully decided yet. We know we have, we have sort of staggered release windows of, opportunity i guess <laughs> okay but for next it's gen really, yeah it, it is def- it's definitely a next gen it okay. is aiming at a triple a sort of release okay what are you looking forward to most because these two consoles have just recently released we're looking forward to most as an animator with this next generation of consoles <clears throat> oh i'm looking really forward to uh off the right off the bat just reducing our uh, compression that we do on the animations first of all what do you mean by that? Uh, well, um, with the games trying to get so big and still fit on disc and, and maintain our you know thirty to sixty frame uh, frame rates, sixty frames a second frame rate, we've had to make a lot of compromises when it comes to compression of the animation data, uh, fidelity of the characters, fidelity of uh, the facial performance, things like that. So we're just constantly squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. It's uh, it's astounding what companies like Naughty Dog and Ubisoft can fit on a disc. Last of Us was just ridiculous. I don't know what kind of voodoo they were doing. Um, <laughs> now, when you say compression asking. on animation, when I think of uh, you know a loss of compression with you know say video or something along that lines, the quality yeah. l- just looks bad or it's not as good. The same, very so, much the same thing. It's that loss, lossy sort of artifacts and, and interpolation. It's basically. It's almost the same as if, well, all the algorithms are different, but it's just like an MP3 thing where it sort of, it finds the peaks and valleys and, and just maintains those, but eliminates any of the in-between. Okay. So you get a lot of robotic, choppy movement uh. and things like that, but all this, and a lot of the subtlety is lost. Okay. okay. And that's, on, that's on the animation itself, and also it can happen yes. that, you know, because uh, the bone counts can drop can you know load and drop during gameplay so if you're playing a game and you know it's decided that we don't need any face bones on the character while you're yeah. playing those face bones disappear and you just go into a very like one one expression phase which is often, exactly, often yeah. angry <laughs> until yeah. until you until it's needed <laughs> so background characters might have I don't Definitely. know, 16 bones. The closer they get, they might get 32, 64, and all of a sudden they might go up to 120, 100, yeah. you know, 160 bones once they're really close. But it changes in the animation. You can see sometimes their legs are floating. They go through the ground. Their hands are not IK'd or anything like that. So that's that's, that's how a compression. We're, we're looking into right now is, is, is you know, all the, the tricks that film have been using for years, like things like blend shapes and point caching and all that, and we can now start to do that at runtime with these new consoles and the high-end PCs, hmm. which uh, it's nice that PC is sort of making a comeback in that regard because it, uh, it raises the ceiling a little bit on what we can do. Plus, I think one thing I'm really excited about is, is just how much... Um, more powerful our AI systems will be, how many more characters we can get on screen. I mean, if you've seen, um, we've been playing Dead Rising a lot, 
at work on the on the Xbox One, and just the amount of zombies on screen is just insane. What they're rendering right now, and uh, that just wasn't possible before. It's and it's really cool. I, yeah, it's like like what he's saying about future console. You know what's exciting? The ceiling has been risen. You know we're gonna have. The, the animation budget, like back then, it was like if you had 15 megs, you're like, okay, cool, I have 15 megs. It might drop yeah. down to 10 megs of memory, <laughs> you know, for, for all your characters on screen. But now with the new yeah. new systems, you can almost say it's almost obsolete, the, the, the amount of oh, memory. You know what? I, I guarantee we'll find a way to fill this up within the <laughs> no first kidding. six months of development. Yeah. I guarantee it. I've, I've been through a few console releases now, and we always find a way to fill it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's a good thing, though, because like you're saying, that ceiling's been lifted, so you find a way to fill that up with more information, whether it be more animation, more or better animation, I guess, or like you said, more characters. Oh, we've got you know the the physical sh- based uh, shaders, the the you know uh, global illumination, all the dynamic lighting that we can do now. Um, Cloth Sims, it's 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 gonna get so close uh, to film on this generation, I think, and then whatever comes after will be. I think that'll be the big leap. Is the next one? I think I don't see it happening on this generation, but pretty close. That next one for sure. You know, yeah. what, you know what? To me, um, why I'm excited about this generation exactly that, but also I'm gonna say because you know we brought Simon because you know he's a he's a an expert in, in motion capture, but now we have the memory to put in character behaviors, a yes. whole bunch of, of you know, in-depth systems, not just like a guy just walking, everyone uses the same walk. Everyone can have a different walk. Everyone can have a, an attitude in their walk, whether it's angry, happy, uh, you know, sad, s- sick, hurt, uh, different speeds. Yeah. You can have a full bank of, of, of animation. So one person who does, you know, a cover, you can have, Instead of having one cover system, you can have a cover system that's mimicked on different characters, but they all do cover a different way. So yeah. even though we take cover, we're taking cover all differently. And that only with motion capture, we're able to build so many animations, so many systems at, yeah. a, at a fast rate. And I think it was, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I mean, it was something we wanted so bad on uh, on Hitman. We designed it in. We had all the. We even captured most of the animations for it. Like we wanted, to say, a civilian versus a guard versus a a goon, and all these different categories. And when they had their weapon drawn, or they were hunting for you, or anything, you could you you could see them. Just their silhouette was different. Just how they moved, their pacing, all those things, the behavior, the choices they make. You know, are they going to flank, or are they going to do form in a group and then come after you in a group? Or are they going to go on their own? Just that more believable, more organic the organic yeah that organic and believable feeling um talking colin uh, colin graham who's also our motion capture instructor yeah he's um, dealing with that right now yeah you know they we call it the living city at ubisoft right how do you make a a, a, you know a city feel real like you can't just keyframe every little i mean you could but you would need a massive team a massive amount of time and yeah. even for the animators, it's like all those little nuances, those small motions, those small acting pieces, it, you know, it is a challenge and it takes time. And you rather spend more time on one of those rewarding moments or those action sequence or that, mm-hmm. that you know, the acting piece of, you know, character talking about an event. This is where I think um, motion capture is a huge benefit yeah. uh, for, for, you know, as directors. 
when we're we're creating a game and you know trying to like make that game feel absolutely real and believable and sincere you know so well we're we're the the scale of the worlds we have to create now is just constantly getting bigger and bigger i mean you take something like skyrim uh it's just so massive and there's so many people you have to fill it with and the one we're working on a human element is even bigger and it's just you're creating universes now with the same amount of people and the same amount of programmers and the same uh, the same time or less now so um, so that motion capture then kind of becomes uh, it's a necessity assistant animators though so to speak they kind of help block things in where you can now be handed that off to run with it? It is. It's, and it shortens the time. <laughs> Usually, a, a lot of times, design, um, it, the, the time span between the concept and seeing it in game is now getting a lot shorter as well. And, um, you know, if they wanted to, to create a combat feature or, or a, change a storyline and then shoot a bunch of new cinematics, it's, you know, you can be on the floor shooting it capture it and have it back in your hands, you know, the next day. Uh, whereas, you know, that 20 seconds of animation would take months to keyframe and, and to get to that level, at least the base level where it's delivered at. Um, it's never, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, mocap is rarely good enough right out of the, the can. Um, it's, it's realistic capture, but it oftentimes doesn't, work um believably when you put it on an animated character on a tiny little screen in a game like that so it's you still your animation sensibilities and and principles still very much apply mm. when working yeah, with mocap you can't you can't i mean regardless where you look at it as you look at it it's like from an animator's point of view it's a fantastic tool it helps you um get closer to to what you need to to deliver in terms of the idea, the, the you know the shot, the performance, and as if you look at a high level when you're directing, it helps you it helps you to steer steer your game, your project um, when needed. So if you need a like Simon said, if you need something new or new a uh, new system, you can reshoot it. If you have a, a major change in your script and your cinematic, you can you can get a fast turnaround, and that plays huge and. To me, what I find is super beneficial is that someone I can rely on that can um, help take care of that process. You know, mm-hmm. you know, someone that can like if I if, if the animator cannot um, doesn't know how to use it, then then he's not going to see the benefits of how this how motion capture is going to be a great. I mean, how it's a great tool. Absolutely. It's a fantastic tool. You know, it is, and it's it's something that everybody's sort of moving towards. It's it's uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent, and it's you can, you know, you can take the idea. I mean, we all want to make stuff for our demo reel. We all want to keyframe things, but at the end of the day, we are making these gigantic products, and you can embrace it and harness the sort of the benefits and the 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 potential of what mocap gives you, or you can kind of begrudge it and be a victim to it, but. Uh, I, th- I think it's it's an amazing tool. It's really great. It's uh, some of my favorite times in this industry have been working on mocap shoots and, and working with the actors, and uh, it's been a really creative experience. So It seems like to me, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like motion capture is most used for very realistic types of games. 
I rarely see it used for much different than that. It seems like, like you mentioned in uh, uh, EA with their mm. sports titles and things of that nature, they're trying to hit a very ultra realistic um, style. Think, yeah, I think that's usually a result of people seeing sort of the shortest distance between two points. Really, when like mocap is just taken literally, you put a human in there and you get human animation. But I think we're seeing now. Um, people using it just again as as just a productivity tool for i mean ea is an example for nba jam um it was a very squash and stretch very cartoony animation set all of that started life as as mocap they just they had a very small animation team and they had to make an entire game from scratch and that was all um straight mocap that they just brought in they could read time uh, exaggerate the arcs, exaggerate the the poses and all that stuff, and get to a very keyframey, really nice exaggerated style. And then half the time, a third okay. of the time. Oh, so I think it's I think we're seeing the tools get a lot more approachable, and and animators getting a lot more comfortable with the data and using it and harnessing it instead of sort of just you delivering it as a product. Um, yeah. I think I, really looking at it like it's just a starting point. It's just a base and a and a, a lump of clay to sculpt however you want. The, when you look at mocap, it's 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 so young. It's super young. It, it is. Has, yeah. it, it. I mean, you can you can. It's probably as you know started. I I guess in you know two thousand and three that was you know starting to be really mainstream. If I if I correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. Um, but what what I think is something important is that how it's being used. You can people who are new to it probably just take it, plug it, and put it in. But people yeah. who are been doing it for a long time know that you can take it and push it and make it stylized. You can use that as a base point. Even um, look example, um, you know, uh, at the DreamWorks when uh, the president was there, they did a little piece on mocap and showing how directors use it as their previs. At DreamWorks, yeah. you, can, you know, you can use it as previs. If you even think even more high level, like when we do live, like when we use our reference, you know, we, you know, we shoot ourselves, we record ourselves, and we piece things together. How many animators or how many guys do you know have used motion capture like that? If the people start using things like that, I mean, animators can take a shot even further, more in depth, and animators are no longer yeah. becoming animators. You can consider animators as actors, and that's something I think uh, yeah. uh, gives a lot of. Um, tools and benefits to us as artists so the motion capture is just a tool you know we are so artists you need to be so creative and an animator and using it and and there's so much yet that we have done with it and just it's not a tool of the future i think it's a tool of today i mean look at the you know weta uses it a lot i mean yeah. all these films use it not just games but films use it previous teams use it you know um cinematic cinematic house use it Motion capture is 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 here. You know, a lot of people don't like. Oh, you know, I want to focus on keyframe. You're still going to keyframe. You're still going to keyframe. We. I don't want just a mocap technician. I want an artist that is knows how to use the motion capture tools because it's yeah. a tool. You know, so that's how I, I uh, see it. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, you mentioned 2003. I wonder. I've been. I've been using it since 2000. Really, I mean, my first job right out of the gate, we were using it. I've been using it for a long, long time. But uh, 
I think, you know, at the end of the day, the animator is still responsible for the final performance, regardless of its origin or regardless of um, the process that they use to get there. You're, you're really, you know, at the end of the day, you're saying, yes, I'm happy with this animation, this movement. Um, and you're just, all we're trying to do is create the most believable uh, motion we can, most believable performances. And whatever tool gets us there the quickest, I mean, optical motion capture is probably, you know, it's, maybe it's in its, uh, you know, in its twilight, we don't know. It might be uh, things like the Moven suit and just uh, camera-based mocap. Uh, I know facial stuff is heading that way now, using all sorts of things like electrodes to track eye movement and uh, um, not using markers on the face anymore. Uh, a lot of really cool strides in just the last couple of years, especially in facial capture, have been uh, have been big. But it's still, it's just a starting place. It's just a tool. Well, you spoke, uh, I think it was March, April at GDC of this year? Yeah. Okay. And your topic was performance capturing games. Yeah. Now, you called it performance capture. Can you explain maybe how you see that different than just, say, motion capture? Uh, it's kind of a silly term. I think it was, um, we had a debate over what defines it as performance capture and what's motion capture. It's, it, we're capturing motion all the time. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing that, is now making performance capture a buzzword is that we're tending to record audio at the same time now, um, which I find is gives a much more authentic performance if you can capture the body, the face, and the voice uh, all in the same take. Uh, you get the interaction on set, the subtleties on set that you just are really hard to capture if you remove the head, capture that separately, and then do a VO session afterwards, and you've got these three different places, and you're trying to assemble a performance out of, sometimes they could be weeks, months apart, and it's uh, it's really hard to get a real intense, powerful scene, powerful interaction between two characters uh, when you do it that way. So it's, it's cool that we're getting, you know, uh, nicer sets, more soundproof sets, uh, a lot more awareness about performance capture. We can get an audio team on set and uh, capturing all sorts of angles. It's it's really cool where it's headed right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To me, the performance. It, to me, it's 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 when we say performance capture, it's we're capturing the performance as like if we would shoot a, a movie. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know that means we have the actor potentially could be the same character in the game, like Vaz in, uh, in Ubisoft, uh, the Far Cry. You know, it's the exactly. same actor. So we're not just cap capturing, you know, the action, uh, you know, the moment. We're we're capturing the whole piece, meaning we have we're we're capturing the camera at the same time, we're capturing the audio at the same time, and we're even you know selecting actors, um, and not just selecting you know voice actors. We're selecting both at the same time when it's like yeah. a more realistic game. So I find. We're selecting a performance versus just doing motion motion, ca motion capture. Before motion capture was just yeah. crowds, you know, running and fighting. But now it's now we're doing performance capture because we're we're trying to capture that essence yeah. of, of the moment. That's we were, that is you know, in the early days we were essentially just hiring puppeteers, um, mm. and now it's you know we're we're doing proper casting and we're doing auditions and uh, and rehearsals and it's it's amazing. That's it's like I said. It's some of my favorite times have been on set working with the actors and and uh, just everybody surrounding it. I, a friend of mine, a director, a really great director, said it best when he when he sort of 
gets the actors on set and he explains it as it's the most natural performance you'll ever give in the most unnatural environment. <laughs> and it's it's so true that you know you're not you're not thinking about, you know, hitting a mark or hitting a camera or anything like that. I mean, typically we'll board it and you'll try to uh if you're doing a cinematic, you'll try to hit certain things for for composition, but um yeah, it's just it's freeing. It's a lot of it's back to what it's it's very much like theater acting where it's it's back to playing and it's back to um just solid performance. It's really fun. Okay. Because I can also see part of a benefit, like you mentioned, you're casting for certain types of uh, performance, yeah. whether it be martial arts or I'm just now thinking of you know something like an MMA game, where maybe if that's not your background, you would not know how to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, where now well, you're you, able to pull in that. Yeah, well, you can you can bring in experts, but uh, I mean, you can also there's there's just such a wealth of reference out there. Really, I don't treat shooting a mocap shot any different than I would keyframing a shot. You still gather reference, you still do your research, you still uh figure out what your your you know your goal is for the shot. Um you just have that added benefit of playing off of a live human when you're there and and collaborating collaborating on the move instead of uh putting your headphones on hoping it turns out as best as it can. What part of the process of animation do you enjoy the most? I like polish myself. I uh, I begrudgingly do blocking, even though <laughs> I mean, it, it blocking is definitely the most satisfying. But I just I, I even when I did traditional art, I just I loved coloring. I hated doing the the initial drawings. So it's I I just love the the it's almost meditative aspect of doing polish. Okay, now we talked a little bit about your your current project and starting a new IP. How was it for working on something like Hitman? You mentioned where it was, like I said, it was a franchise. How was that different for you? What was some of the stuff you learned during that process that maybe now you're taking to this project here? Um, it was definitely the the scale of the characters and the scope of of the world that we were creating. Um, I learned so much about uh, acting, voiceover, um, uh, and working with actors on that. I had a, an amazing team. Uh, we we flew to um, L.A. here to shoot all the cinematics, and we did it at uh, a studio called Giant uh, down in Culver City where they did Avatar and Tintin and uh, such a, an amazing crew of guys there. And, and we had... Uh, I use the word amazing too much, I think. Um, <laughs> fantastic. We had a, a fantastic crew. <laughs> the actors we had were, were just so cool to work with. We had such a cool uh, cast. Um, and we, we tried to cast authentically for the characters instead of what I would call stunt casting, which a lot of games do, which they sort of bring in a celebrity just for marketing purposes, but they don't necessarily... Uh, work well for the characters. We tried to be really authentic to the characters and that was a fun process of uh, just going through all the audition tapes and, and, and the crew we finally had, they were, oh, they were amazing. It was so fun. Um, so yeah, just taking a lot of that knowledge of how to, how to organize something on that scale, how to work with all the different character types, uh, the VO, everything, it all directly applies to this. Now, you were an animation director on, on that one? 
Yes. Is that why you had so much of the interaction with the the shoots and stuff? I did, but um, really, I mean, I I got I don't think there was a single animator on that team that I didn't put in a in a suit at some point. We had our own uh, mocap space at uh, I O as well, um, and I put everybody from a programmer to an animator to everybody I could find in a suit. I, I think it's important, even when we went to L.A., um, I brought a, a couple of the guys with me as much as I could. Um, I think it's important for animators to be comfortable with that pipeline, with being on set, um, planning a shoot, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's important to be able to own a chunk of the game because that's really what leads are looking for. They're looking for people who can... Uh, take a lot of ownership and a lot of initiative in uh, in a feature or an area of the game or, or an entire character. Okay. Uh, it it makes my job so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a part of the process, but something they can kind of lay their hands on the whole. Absolutely. Blender. I mean, I had uh, one guy who just he was a gigantic MMA fan, um, loved fighting, and he was just like, I want combat, and he just took it. Didn't really give us a choice. He just took it. But, uh, <laughs> That's but the any, best any commitment, time, right there. Knocked <laughs> it out of the park. He just, you know, went to his room and just owned it. And uh, we ended up giving him an outsourcing team to manage and and all sorts of assets. And yeah, it was great. It was really cool. So I love stuff like that. And and any game team does. Every game team loves people that will step up and and stick their neck out and take a chance and and own something. So. so that was just one of the animators there who did that? Yeah. So yeah. By that every one of the, did. yeah, every one of the animators on Hitman did something just like that. You know, they just, they staked a claim on the game and, and made it their own. So that's cool. You know what, what's cool? Um, two things I want to say. What's really cool about, uh, what I find cool about games is that you get a lot of, uh, opportunity to take ownership, you know? Yeah. You, you, if you really, really, you know, you say, I really want to do this and you're showing that you want to do it and you're going to commit and you're going to not just put great effort, but you're going to produce results. There's no reason why a director won't let you continue on. He'd be like, you're doing great work. You get to do it, you know, and you can put yeah. your own take on it, your own spin. As long as the director says, you know, it's within, you know, within the realm of what we want for the, 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 the game, the, the game, you know, the vision of the game. It's cool, yeah. but it's great that you can do that in, in games. You can just go on and say, you know what, I'm going to do combat and be like, you know, if yeah. it's going to work, you can work. You can do that in games. There's no every. Yeah. Everybody's more than happy to give to delegate and give, you know, if uh, Keith, uh, Keith Lango said something great on Twitter. I think it was yesterday, but it was, it was so true is that everybody loves working with people that make their jobs easier. And yes. uh, if you can make the next guy down the line's job a bit easier, another guy's job better, uh, that's always welcome. So the second thing, and, and I'm going to take on from making your job easier is that's what that, to me, that's why I'm like, you know, I had a, a, a animator who just emailed me. Uh, I just wrote back before the podcast, and he asked me what can he do to to grow as an animator or get in his first job. And I said, you know, be valuable. You know, have those things that it's going to make my job easier. And to me, it was like, well, you know, you should if you want to really get into games, if you can learn, you know, motion capture or learn rigging or learn something other than just animation. You're gonna make my job easier and make me more interested in you as an animator. Um, now, the Absolutely. second thing, 
I wanted to just just to mention really quickly because um, a lot of people don't know this. Um, in between Canada and United States, the term uh, animation director and lead, there's this kind of um, gap <laughs> every between every studio. <laughs> yeah, every studio. So yeah. if you're a lead animator, it does. It, it it's equal to an animation director. You just don't get the, the title director because yes. they just don't I, want to. Even offer. on, on <laughs> even on Hitman Absolution, I think on paper yeah. I was um, I was a lead animator for the studio, but they were nice enough to give me animation director in the credits in the opening credits of the game. So yeah. I took it. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's I've funny. With uh, it is, it's like Ubisoft gives out that title to a lot of. But um, we have bigger. Animators. We have a huge team. We have a yeah. very, very huge team. So we need, we need, uh, we need to have that title. As, Absolutely, yeah. As a smaller teams, um, like when I was at um, at Liquid, uh, there, there, there was no animation director. It was just animation lead. Yeah. But your responsibility is to direct. The, your animation department. It is the responsibility is kind of similar. It's it really like you said. It comes down to scope. Like on um, uh, on on Hitman, I think at at one point in house for most of the project we had about twenty one, twenty two animators in house. Uh, another ten or so in an Indian studio. Uh, some guys, a team in um, Sweden, and a guy in Canada. That was a lot of people. So. You know, I had a, a gameplay lead, a cinematics lead, um, and an uh, AI lead, and things like that. And so, I think at that point, you do become a director because there are leads working under you, and you're sort of trying to maintain continuity over the game and a, and a sense of direction versus being a bit more on the ground uh, and f- fighting the the day to day battles because <laughs> the leads will take that up a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I guess that title tends to come a bit more from the scope of the team, but the duties are very much the same. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm 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 glad to hand some of that off and be a little bit more on the on the ground. Um, oh yeah, if you guys, if, if everyone as, can do more than than uh, you know, if you're you know if you're an amazing animator and you're really great with other tools. You know, rigging, motion capture. To me, I I I love that because those are the guys I yeah. want on my core team, and they stay throughout the whole project. And usually, I never want to let them go to another project. Those guys are the the problem solvers, and every yes. team needs a problem solver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you looking forward to most uh, teaching here at the uh, with the workshop? Oh, I. Uh... I love seeing people get better. I love, I just, I love talking animation. So, uh, any chance I can get to do it, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I, I've been wanting to teach for so long. Um, I think it would be a really fun experience just to, to work with people and, and show them this part of the animation world. And, and, uh, I'm really hoping to change the perception of motion capture. Uh, I think it's, it's got a bad rap amongst animators for a long time now a lot of people thinking it's replacing us and uh making us obsolete and i think it's just the opposite i think it's just empowering us to to do more and to, to be more involved in a lot of the the decision making mm. and it's great it's uh and plus it's just it's a ton of fun very cool now you've been teaching the workshop one or two 
Uh, Rick can answer that too. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, see, uh, I see the fingers we, up. Yeah, <laughs> we you you never know what might happen. <laughs> you know, you, I always joke about you see the smile, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, with Simon we work with uh, workshop two. Uh, it will be Simon, uh, uh, Colin, and and Brent. So I mean, you got th- three powerhouse guys, um, you know, who are hugely respected in the industry. Um, who really know, um, who really understands, you know, not just, you know, the, the animation portion, but they also understand, the, the, you know, the, the demand of motion capture, what we need, what is expected, how to, I mean, the, these guys are leading, leading industry. I mean, God, I'm, I'm super humbled to be a part of it. It's an all-star crew. I'm kind of the underdog here. So it's, uh, <laughs> he I'm, says I'm the underdog. very flattered to be part of this. He says that, but uh, people forget that Simon goes to GDC all the time to talk about motion oh. capture, and <laughs> and and uh, you know we are the one who goes there and start taking notes. And also, you oh. do um, we haven't mentioned, but uh, Alt Dev Group. I mean, Simon oh, yeah. does a lot of uh, Simon and Mike. They give a lot to the community, and this is the type of guys we love to have at Animate that are really committed and. You know, not just it's not just pure talent, but it's also commitment, and they love what they do, and they're they're they they're really into it. Oh, it's been so much fun uh, just being a part of the animation community. I kind of lived under a rock for nine years while I was at EA, and uh, I I just kind of came out, joined Twitter, and, and and started meeting guys from all these different studios, and yeah, got invited to speak at GDC last year. Met. Uh, you know, guys from Naughty Dog and Epic and, and uh, just everywhere. It's so cool. There's such a supportive, amazing community in games right now that uh, we're able to do stuff like this, get guys from Ubisoft, EA, uh, everywhere. It's so cool. Well, we do really appreciate you taking some time out here for us and uh, joining us in the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome. thanks. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. Very cool. All right, with that, we're out. We're out.